Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. This program goes out every Thursday on our YouTube channel. And on this week's show, Louis Christopher for SQM Research tells us why Sydney house prices will go up by 14% next year and Melbourne prices 15%. Then real estate agent Ben Collier from the eastern suburbs in Sydney says he's never seen a house price rebound as quick and as big as the current one he's seeing in his local area. And finally, Ross Lees of Centuria tells us why industrial property is set up for a really big boom. Louis Christopher, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Peter. All right, mate. So I want to talk to you about your forecast yes. for 2020, right? Yep, which okay. we've just released. Okay. Before we do that, I just want to kick off asking you, there's a bit of controversy around whether there really is a house price rebound. One analyst, well, the one that's quoted by everyone, uh, says, yeah, a rebound's happening. Look at the numbers. Another one said, uh, only a few little, a few suburbs, but not not right across the board. You're a man who watches property 24-7. What's going on? The Sydney and Melbourne housing markets are definitely on the rise and they're rising at a considerable clip, mm. Peter. So uh, there is ample evidence of this market rise. For starters, auction clearance rates are well and truly higher than where they were this time last year, yep. even after taking into account unreported results. Housing finance approvals are well and truly up, which is being reported by the ABS. Our asking prices index, or what vendors are doing, uh, basically vendors have lifted their asking prices in Sydney by about 5% since the election, uh, and Melbourne by about 6%. So vendors would not lift asking prices unless they were confident of obtaining a higher price. Mm. Then of course, we have the core logic numbers that have come through, which I know there's some dispute, but there's also the APM domain price series, which has also recorded some strong price rises for Sydney and Melbourne once again. Mm. So the evidence is, is ample, uh, Peter. I would strongly dispute the notion that prices are somehow still falling or Sydney and Melbourne are still weak. Mm. They're not, they're rising and it's, it's critical that everyone does get the snapshot right because if significantly if key authorities think the market's doing something else than what it actually is wrong decisions will be made mm -hmm. especially around monetary policy mm -hmm. and what potentially australian presidential yeah. regulation authority does yeah so you're you're worried that well if if the wrong signals have been put out there maybe the reserve bank will cut interest rates one more or two more times when they don't need to. Correct. And secondly, APRA might overreact. Think, oh, there's going to be a, a massive boom. We need to get involved yep. and, and kill the market off yeah. again like they did before. It's, it's critical that we get the here and now right. And I, mm. I do appreciate that it's more difficult in housing mm. to do that versus, say, the equities market. Mm. Because we're not talking about standardised shares. Mm. We're talking about unique properties. Yep. It is more difficult to measure it. But nevertheless, when you consider the consensus, the overriding consensus indicators out there, the market in Sydney and Melbourne is well and truly up and okay. accelerating. Before we go through the various cities and what you're, you're predicting in your base case, I think this is probably instructive. When you look at what's happened to October this year, 12 months to October, yes. uh, Sydney is actually down 2.5%. Now, yes. a person who's not comfortable with statistics would say, hang on, I thought house prices were rising. Explain why it's a negative number. 
because this is a year-on-year 12-month change. It's effectively comparing uh, the market now to uh, basically almost 24 months ago. Mm. So it's a 12-month on 12-month comparison. Yeah. Uh, and in that regard, it's taking into account the falls in, in housing prices we had earlier this year, yeah. as well as some of the falls from last year. Yeah. So the market has been rising on our numbers effectively since the election. So yeah, the bottom right. in the market was from the election. The, the so election, a lot of negatives for house prices before. Correct. And the rebounds happened after that. Basically, okay. the election took the market by surprise. The market was thinking for yes. one moment that we were going to have capital gains tax increases and negative gearing change. Yep. All of a sudden, that wasn't on the table anymore. Yeah. And subsequently, confidence in the market started to pick up. Yeah, and you had APRA backing off on the, on the, the loan uh, percentage, that the interest rate cap for, for borrowers, and then we also had tax cuts, and we had the rate cuts. Correct, there's been multiple mm. stimulus, uh, Peter, and you've just touched on some of them. Okay, right. So let's have this run through it now, and I'm doing this without my glasses. Mm. Let's start with, with the biggie, um, yep. Sydney. So our base case forecast is that Sydney dwelling prices are likely to rise 10 to 14% next year. Mm. That's a big, big jump, mate. It's a big jump. Mm. The reality is when we look at the data right now, mm. the market is actually at that tempo now. Uh, so yes, it is a big jump. Let's consider what's driving those, okay. uh, pri that, that price forecast. And it's the same for Melbourne as well, where our forecast is actually for an 11 to 15% rise. Huge. In these two cities, uh, we're experiencing very strong population growth increases. Melbourne at the moment is running at 2.5% per annum. Effectively, the city's expanding by 120,000 people a year. Mm. It's a huge number. Mm. Back in 2011, Melbourne crossed over about 4 million people. It's now 5 million people. It's grown by a million people mm. in just about eight years. That's a massive increase in underlying demand for well, accommodation. For eight years, they've been telling us that the most livable city in the entire world, mate. Oh, I'm not going to even go there. But, you know, <laughs> well, you yeah, don't go to Melbourne as much uh, as I do. Yeah. On the radio, you can hear the world's most livable city. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney's population growth has not been as strong, but it's still been very strong, running at about 1.7% yeah. per annum. Now, that's still been the case of 2019, and according to the ABS estimates, it will be the case again next year in terms of that very strong population growth rate, predominantly driven by migration. Now, let's mix that in with the fact we've just had some rate cuts, yep. some fairly significant rate yeah. cuts at that as well. Let's also mix into the equation the loosening of lending restrictions mm. by APRA, yep. which has been occurring effectively since late 2018. On top of that, the tax rate cuts. Mm. Okay, all these all these factors are stimulus for the market. Mm. What about Trump and a trade deal? There's a confidence work. You know, if business feels more confident, I guess they're hiring more. That's going to be another plus rather than a negative. Uh, in our view, it is a plus, and we've actually factored this into our forecast as well, Peter. Mm. So, we believe that Trump's going to try and orchestrate an equities market rally. Uh, in 2020, he'll yep. do that by trying to maintain a deal with China and not let that break down. Mm. Uh, and if he does manage to hold that deal before the election, we should see that equities rally. Mm. And with that, of course, more confidence in the global economy. This will actually uh, um, positively affect Perth and Brisbane 
we think. Okay. Because and it, they need some help with their house prices, don't they? Well, Perth's housing price is now lower than where it was 10 years ago, Peter. So uh, on, a, on a value play, we actually think Perth actually offers the best value right now relative to risk. So we think that with an increase in confidence of the global economy, it will help all cities. Brisbane and Perth will certainly be assisted by that by a rise in commodity prices. Mm -hmm. And Sydney and Melbourne will also benefit from that too. Okay, so what have you got Perth and Brisbane at in terms of the range? Our forecast for Brisbane and Perth is each three to six percent, so the range is exactly the same. Mm. Uh, now, as mentioned before, Perth's house prices are lower than where they were ten years ago. They had another bad year this year in terms of the for sale market, yep. but the rental market has actually turned around in Perth, and this is critical because it was the rental market that led the housing market uh, into a downturn to begin with back in 2014. Mm. So. To see the rental market now recover in Perth, yeah. and that, that is an event that's now happened, yeah. uh, this is a good sign for the for sale market. While you're on that subject, part of Perth's problem was not only the fact that the mining boom went off the boil, mm. they actually had a big supply increase of properties, didn't they? Which is something that both Sydney and Melbourne haven't got. Yes, they had a supply increase in the lead up to the peak of the mining mm. uh, boom. Yeah. Uh, and then when the mining downturn hit, of course, you know, simultaneously we had an oversupply of real estate and it's taken a very long time for Perth to unwind that oversupply. Mm. But it's now been happening. Mm. Uh, Sydney and Melbourne, yes, well, we've talked in the past about the fact that Sydney's actually got an oversupply right now of rental stock and that's mm. still with us. Mm. But it's not affecting the for sale market. I suspect that basically there is, um, well, we know this, that there's been a surge in first home buyer activity in Sydney. I think a lot of younger people looking at what's been happening uh, to the rental market with all the apartments, with the problems with the apartments, they've been looking to buy perhaps housing over apartments, they've been looking to turn themselves into first home buyers rather than stay as renters. Mm. So there's been that degree of activity in Sydney. And I guess significant house price falls will always encourage buyers. Yes, that is true. Obviously, with an improvement of affordability, it does help more first-time buyers enter into the market. And the reality is, in Sydney and, and other cities, we've had an improvement in affordability over the last two years. Okay. So I don't ignore any of our viewers in other capital cities. Let's just go through quickly. See if your memory is fantastic on this one. Canberra? So Canberra, the forecast is for 3 to 7% price increases. Mm -hmm. Now, Canberra is an interesting one. We've just now had... Uh, come into play a first home buyer concession it started 1 July. Uh, so a lot of first home buyers were actually holding off until that concession came in, but it's now come in and so we are seeing an increase in activity from first home buyers in the ACT market. Mm. On top of that, it appears as though population growth rates in Canberra are actually increasing. Their um, education sector has been rapidly expanding in the ACT market. Mm, yeah. uh, that combined with the fact that the local economy has been rebounding and improving, we think that is in part as a result of increased federal government expenditures. Mm. And I think once the federal government does get their budget surplus, they may well ratchet up the spending once again for FY22. Let's hope so, mate, let's hope so. Hobart's been a, a rip-roaring uh, city. Is it, will it keep on going? We think there's one more year in it, but I've got to say, most of the easy gains have now been had for yeah. Hobart. Yeah. And we've actually been stating in our report for 
uh, investors potentially take profits there. Yeah. Uh, so yes, prices may well rise next year, but that probably should be it. Now, Adelaide tends to be just a, a sneaky little increase all the time. What's happening there? Adelaide? Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've got the forecast down as a, an increase of one to four percent. Uh, Adelaide has been flatlining for a very long time now. Mm. It's been struggling somewhat with the economy. Uh, however, there is some light and the economy has actually done a little bit better than yeah. what we previously mm. thought with the automobile uh, industry shutting down. It's actually done okay despite mm. that occurring. Mm. But it's not exactly a city that's shitting the lights out both economically and with housing. Mm. That said though, a good time to be a landlord because vacancy rates in Adelaide now have fallen below 1%. Sure. And our forecast for rents is that we could see up to a 5% rental increase okay. next year. Good point. And finally, Darwin. Darwin's economy is in a lot of trouble. Mm. Uh, it has actually been so since 2017. Indeed, it's the first time I saw a Treasury Department forecast an outright recession, which they got right. Did they? Yeah, okay. so they, they forecast it was going to be bleak days mm. and they got it right, which mm. I thought was pretty gutsy politically for them yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, Are they still in power then? Yeah, yeah, well. Um, so, look, it, there's been a number of reasons for that. Overdevelopment uh, on housing mm. uh, before the mining uh, downturn. A lot of big projects in Darwin being completed and no new projects coming along stream. There's some now. Uh, so the outlook economically is, has improved a little and we have noticed some signs that the rental market in Darwin is improving. But the full sale market, well, there's a lot of surplus stock there still and that's going to take time to absorb. All right, before we finish up, when you start your tough job in trying to forecast, yeah. do you start with do I think there's a recession out there that could really ra railroad or derail, sorry, pr house prices? I guess we start from the fact of what are all the various scenarios that could actually play out. Mm. So we think of all the various scenarios that could play out and then put probabilities on them. Yeah. Then we narrow that down to three to four main scenarios, which will be the most likely scenarios. And then out of that, through doing further analysis, put a hat on one main base case scenario. Okay. Uh, so this year, yeah. um, the four scenarios are one, the RBA doesn't cut rates and that's our base case scenario and yeah. APRA doesn't step into the market. The worst case scenario that we're running yeah. um, is a situation where the RBA actually has to go to zero interest rates. Yeah. They, they introduce QE. Now, one would think, okay, that could be good for housing because then interest rates will be cut. Yeah. But here's the problem with that. Why are they doing that? Yeah. And that is because- The spook factor it, would be big. It would be huge. Yeah. Uh, and it would mean that the economy could be into a tailspin and that would not be good for housing. So in that scenario, we've only forecasted basically flat house prices to falling house prices. Okay. Louis, uh, if people want to see your range of forecasts, where do they go? I come to our website, it's called the Housing Boom and Bus Report, and it's on the <laughs> front page of our site, and we're selling for fairly cheaply at $59.95, I think the okay. price is. Yeah, it's sqmresearch.com.au. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's Louis Christopher, of course, from SQM Research. In my ongoing search to work out whether this housing price rebound can be believed, I caught up with Ben Collier from the agency who concentrates his business in the eastern suburbs of Sydney to see what's going on in his market. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. How good is this 
house price rebound? Have you ever, well, hang on, I should ask the question. Is there a house price rebound? Some people have doubted the, the fact that there is one. Yeah, look, I've never seen a rebound quite as rapid as this one. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, normally when you when a, a market comes to a peak, it can take years in which to get there. Hmm. But pretty much a lot of the losses that we've experienced in my market, say over the last 18 months, two years, has pretty much come back to being squared from where we were uh, th within the last three to four months. Hmm. So if something was, say, selling for... 3.2 and it dropped to 2.7 you know during the what 17 18 period mm -hmm. are you saying it's, it's crept back to 3.2 pretty much yes um and there's a few reasons why that mm. is uh one reason is due to the lack of supply yeah uh, i'm unsure why but at the moment a lot of people seem to be content to uh, stay put mm. uh, but at the moment that's pretty much what we're experiencing within the market okay your area, because you're in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Yes. That, there, there's a genuine supply problem there because it's harder to actually increase the, the availability unless it goes up in the sky. Yeah, well, that's been well documented over the last few months yeah. that we're at record supply lows mm. uh, at present. Mm. Um, again, I'm not sure as to why that is, mm. uh, whether it's... Uh, uh, due to the lack of space, as you mentioned, mm. but um, at the moment, that's what we're experiencing. Mm. Are there apartments being built that will add to the supply and will that help the supply or it's insufficient? I think it's insufficient. I just don't think the space is necessarily available mm. within the eastern suburbs. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's been a huge... Uh, development that's taken place around Alexandria, those areas, um, Kensington, Kingsford, but mm. not sort of harbourside eastern suburbs. Mm. We're not seeing it. Okay. If you stretch out across the Sydney basin, is there supply problems in those in that? That's area? hard for me to comment because yeah. I concentrate principally mm. in the eastern suburbs. Yeah. But uh, but look, I, I think it's 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 not a. It's a fairly widespread phenomenon that's starting to gain momentum. Mm. What about the, um, is there apartment anxiety because of the, the cracks in some complexes and the cladding issue? Uh, that's difficult to say possibly, but. Um, so people aren't going to your apartments on, on sale and, and showing signs that they're worried that it could be a dodgy build. No, I, I haven't seen, witnessed that at, at the moment. I, I am seeing a trend starting to develop from the wealthier downsizer mm. uh, where they're making a decision not necessarily to scale into a luxury apartment as such. Mm. Um, they may choose to scale into, uh, at the top end of Wallara Paddington, have an uh, apartment- a terrace or a semi or correct, something? Correct, apartment style of living, but mm. it's in a house, mm. a smaller house. Yeah. Um, where there's a walkability and proximity to cafes, restaurants, that type of thing. So that, that's a trend that's starting to evolve now. Yeah. How worried were you about the real estate market and your business across you know, the mid-2016, 17, 18? That's when the market started going off the boil. Was it a serious drop in the, in the early parts of that? It was, mm. but within a particular price point. Mm. So I would say under... $4 million, mm. we saw a definite correction. Um, however, we saw more top-end sales in the last six months of last year than we've ever seen before. Mm. Uh, and then yet this year, 
we're only just starting to see that market awaken from its uh, winter slumber now. Mm. Um, so it, it, there's, there's markets within markets that mm. move at different Okay. Uh, what are the crowds turning up to auctions? What are they like? Uh, they were pretty thin mm. as of four months ago, mm. but over the last four months, there's a lot more depth uh, as we're progressing. Mm. Um, and again, I think we're a lot of agents, we're expecting... Uh, a decent level of supply that hasn't happened. Mm. And so that's created a level of anxiety. Okay. Have you tried to work out why it hasn't happened? Why aren't people putting their, their homes up for sale? My best guess is they've got nowhere else to go. Well, I was literally about to say that. Yeah. So if you can't see something that you would like to buy mm. on the other end, mm. then people are making the, des- the decision to stay where they are. Mm. So therefore, does it mean that your business is threatened by this inertia and lack of supply? That's a really good question. I haven't thought it like the quote <laughs> know, in those terms. It's never really been a big issue. You've always seen reasonable turnover, but all your colleagues in the area tell me the same thing. There is a definite supply problem and the people who you'd like to deliver the supply have nowhere else to go. Look, one thing I know to be true, uh, there's always going to be a desire by someone to scale into a larger home. Mm. There's always going to be a need for someone to scale out of the family home into yeah. a smaller property. Um, there's deceased estates, unfortunately. There's marital separations. So there's always going to be that level of mm. turnover. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm quite fortunate. I've been quite uh, consistent over the last few years mm. in, in, in varying markets. But I think the market, the industry as a whole is pretty top-heavy with agents. Mm. So unless you've got uh, form, then you may struggle a little bit. Okay. Now, this is a really hard question, Ben, but you wrote it. The 10 things a home buyer should do before the end of the year. Can you remember those 10 things? Let's start from the first one. Okay. <laughs> In fact, I got asked, I got yeah. asked a question from my new book. Um, I was on the ABC last week. And they asked me the 12 things you need to prepare to you know, build your wealth. And I couldn't remember them. I wrote them. I couldn't yeah, yeah, remember. Yeah. Can you remember those 10? Uh, not in order, <laughs> okay, right. um, but look, finance is a big thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, look, it depends on those who are starting on their real estate journey for a first time. Mm. Um, they're a little bit inexperienced uh, and maybe a little bit naive to the process, yeah. um, naive dealing with agents, those sorts of things. But certainly one should start the, that process uh, with a degree of legwork mm. and ensuring that your finance is in place mm. and that you've got a very clear understanding as to what the parameters of your finance uh, approval is. Mm. Um, then there, there's going to involve a degree of legwork. Um, just because, uh, and this probably leads to my next question, uh, sorry, my next point as well, is just because something isn't necessarily visible uh, on online doesn't mean that it's not necessarily on the market. Mm. And and I, that sort of veers into off-market properties. So is that a good argument for talking to real estate agents who might know the properties that 100%. So are 40%, available for sale but not really advertised on market. Indeed. So 40% of my business this year has been off market, mm. um, which is fairly high. Mm. Um, and I think that that's more a, a function and a nature of what we're experiencing in the current marketplace mm. at the moment. Mm. And does it probably mean that at the high end, people want to be told what someone's willing to buy? before they actually put themselves on that. Oh, there's definitely a vetting yeah. process yeah. by vendors. You know, yeah. they want to ensure. And I guess some people, you know, they like where they live, but if someone wants to pay them an unbelievably high price, 
they might be prepared to move. But until they get that kind of price, if they're not really in the mar market to move, it, it might only be a price that gets them to think about moving. No, indeed. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. All right. That's two, three. Uh, buyers agents, I think, was another one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so again, are they good? They are very good. Mm. Uh, look, buyers agents help those who may be time poor, mm. for example. Uh, they're, they're very busy at work and mm. they have a need or a desire to scale into their next property yep. or even investment property, but don't have time to deal with uh, real estate agents and, and sifting through the various properties that come available mm. uh, on a weekly basis. So they may engage the use of a, a buyer's agent who will do all of that sifting for them and do all the running around and, and due diligence as well. Okay. And that's very helpful for someone that may be um, not that confident in, okay. in having an understanding as to values, those sorts of things. And that's where a buyer's agent can really assist through that process. Number four? You might have to help me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't gone here as well. But what, what we will do is we'll actually get them and put them on screen and uh, we can link it to it. Link, we'll get the story and put it on our website. How's that sound? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll finish off with it. We'll finish off with all of it. I've done apartment anxiety. You had a story on the rising length of home ownership. We've kind of covered that, haven't we? Or is there, are there any other issues around that? Oh, look, under a certain price range, you have a lot more turnover because, you know, someone, like, I guess, gone are the days when our grandparents... Well, I'll ask a question. Yeah, sorry. Right. I'll ask a question. Okay. You wrote a story about the rising length of home ownership. So tell us what you're trying to say there. So initially, our grandparents who would have bought a house, they would have stayed there happily ever after, yeah. uh, even after their kids had, had all left. Mm. Then we've started to see uh, people where there's more likely to be anywhere between four, five, possibly as many as six properties in their life cycle um, in terms of scaling up and on the way back down again. Um, however, we are starting to see a trend as well where people are making the decision to stay where they are. Mm. Uh, the changeover costs are a big factor in that. Yeah. Uh, so stamp duty, uh, agents costs, those type of um, legals, you know, as well. legals as well mm. um, play a big factor in this. So they may then choose to, they may be in a two bedroom terrace, mm. they may choose to extend into an attic space to turn it into a three bedroom house and stay put. And I guess one other area that um, yeah, is, a, is a part of the new age setting is um, APRA really made hard for property investors. They kind of reduced their activity. Are they coming back? It's loosened up a little, mm. but it's still uh, like approvals can take. I've got three deals pending right now. Mm that it's taken some in the realm of seven to 10 days where we're sitting on the fence waiting for it to be rubber stamped. Mm. Uh, so we have an understanding as to where the buyer's willing to pay. We have an understanding that the vendor is more than likely willing to accept that, um, but we're sort of in a holding pattern mm. uh, until that approval uh, comes through. Okay, Ben, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. See you soon. Ben Collier from the agency. Ross, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Now, Ross, um, industrial property, um, it's been in a bit of a boom. How good is the current boom? Uh, the current boom is pretty strong, Peter. What we're seeing is, at a global context, fund managers all around the world looking to grow their exposure to the industrial asset class. Mm -hmm. And they're really doing that because of the current boom in e-commerce. Um, looking around at groups like Amazon and Alibaba, 
um, outside of Australia. Mm. They've really driven a, a huge amount of demand for logistics warehousing. Mm. Um, and we're starting to see that trickle through to Australia where we're still at a very low penetration point for these groups. Mm. Um, and you know, seeing the weight of capital that's going in globally, that's coming to Australia in a, in a strong way. Yeah, now I love the ratio. Uh, explain it to us that when you lose a square metre of retail, yes. pick up on that. So yeah, the, the, the traditional thinking is for every square metre of retail footprint that reduces because someone may be shopping online, mm. it requires three square metres of warehousing footprint. So mm. it's a direct correlation between what you know, might be perceived to be a negative sentiment in the retail market at the moment for retail real estate, translating into needing more floor space in, in the warehouse Mm. part of the market mm. um, and that's what we're seeing is you know warehousing really become the substitution for retail space in the current market okay so um, I noticed in your your notes you said you're saying that the the m7 led to a certain kind of implication for industrial yes. property what is the infrastructure uh, that's going to come after the m7? going to do for industrial yeah, property? So look, we've probably seen a couple of things happen historically in the market and currently in the market. And in the report we've just published, we've talked about where infrastructure is going over the next three to five years and how we think that's going to keep um, really stimulating demand in the industrial sector, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria. Mm. What happened about 10 years ago in New South Wales was the M7 motorway came online. And that was very important from a logistical point of view because it connected the M5 motorway, which ran to the south of Sydney, to the M2 motorway running to the north of Sydney, and created a strong infrastructure connection to round out the Sydney orbital network mm. at the time. But what that did was bring on vast tracts of greenfield land in outer western Sydney markets like Eastern Creek and Erskine Park, mm. future Badgeries Creek when that comes online. So really what that led to was it was great for our tenants, the transport users, they had much more um, efficiency in their supply chain, yep. but it created supply in in land, and that's going to put pressure on, on rentals. So we saw about seven to eight years of stagnant rental growth whilst the market was absorbing that land. The current infrastructure boom we have going on at the moment in New South Wales in particular, you know, where we see that is very different is the prior piece of infrastructure released greenfield land. At the moment we're actually seeing the, the, the geographic boundaries of Sydney coming into play and the space that's inside the orbital network mm. being a space that's becoming very, very sought after. So if you think about what's happening at the moment, West Connects, it's inside that Sydney orbital network. Yep. Um, the Sydney Metro is inside that yep. orbital network. Um, the future Badgerys Creek Airport, it's on the outskirts of it. Um, and more from the private sector, Cube building their inland port down at um, Moorbank, the Moorbank Intermodal Terminal, mm. is again in that, in that node. So you're seeing huge amounts of infrastructure coming into the population centre, mm. not bringing on vast tracts of, of greenfield land. We think that's going to create a, a pretty strong um, environment over the next few years. Yeah, so the, the effect then is, um, because of e-commerce on, on one hand, mm. there's a there's great demand for industrial warehousing yes. space. That, and, and the Goodman Group is a company that's benefited from that. Absolutely. Um, and, but you think, you know, looking at one of the charts in one of your, um, uh, your notes, basically when I look at that, it's like, well, you had a boom, but we ain't seen nothing yet. You, you think it's going to be a really big boom? Yeah, look, we, we expect it to be, um, as a, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, where we're mm. seeing geographic constraints coming mm. into play. That's the point um, you made earlier. That's yeah. right, and, you know, and strong population growth. So Melbourne's mm. actually having very strong population growth at the moment. Um, good migration, good, good 
probably got one of the highest population growths um, forecasts in the developed world. So mm. we should see that coming in. And then what we're going to see is really our impatience as consumers driving the demand for well-located property. Mm. So whilst you might be able to create new warehousing on the outskirts of the city, if, if that warehousing is not capable of delivering to you as the consumer in one hour, two mm. hours, then that's not going to be relevant to those customers. So you know, back to the point of the, the land inside the orbital network mm. being much better service from infrastructure point of view, and servicing population as well, for the properties that are located inside of that, you can't manufacture more of it. Mm. You've only got what you've got. Yep. Um, look in Sydney today, there's no greenfield land inside that ring, and that's where we think there's a, a pretty strong okay. environment to come. So for those people watching us who aren't quite sure, how do you guys define industrial? Um, we're purists, I guess. Mm. So uh, we look at in, uh, logistics and warehousing mm. effectively. So properties that can accommodate um, warehouse tenants and manufacturing tenants is how we see it. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the old factory plus yep. warehousing. Correct. Okay. Yep. And so um, Centuria really thinks this sector that's done well anyway mm. is even going to do better. Until when? It's, it's a pretty good question. Yeah, uh, and be right, by the way, Ross. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a disclaimer? Um, <laughs> now, look, I think you know, the, the key point we're seeing is you know, where does it run till? Um, at the moment, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to predict, predict that point. Yields are at a point where you know, yields being capitalisation mm. rates, um, they've been contracting lower and lower because the demand keeps increasing for the asset mm. class. We don't see that turning around at a point in time soon, particularly when you look at the weight of capital coming in from investors that might be saying, I don't want to invest in the retail asset class yeah. in the current environment. Yeah. Where do I want to invest? So that's pushing the weight of capital into the sector, both from local and global investors. And in the current low bond environment, um, the, the rates look pretty attractive on, on the spread. So where does it end? I, I think you know, the, the question becomes, you know, at what point do financing costs kick up mm. rapidly and that potentially um, you know, moves where the rate goes. But mm. you know, look at where long bonds are. Yes, they've had some volatility over the last week, but they're low. Take a view, they're low and you know, they're likely to stay low for, for a significant period of time. And then you know, back to the point of where does the rental growth end? How do you bring supply into the market? Mm. So you can bring supply into the market in the outer areas. But I guess what we've just spoken about is maybe in those outer areas where you can bring supply to market might not be where people want to occupy. Yeah. So in, in the inner areas, it's a bit like buying a house in an expensive suburb you're not going to build another suburb that's got the same characteristics, so the same, the same, um, the same atmosphere is playing into the industrial market at the moment. Okay. So you're, you're at least thinking 2023? I think, and if you look at the, the infrastructure peaks, that's looking like where the, the bulk of infrastructure is coming into, into the market. Okay. And so what uh, products does Centuria have for people to cash in? on this, I hope, correct <laughs> forecast on industrial property. Uh, so look, we, we, have, um, we operate um, Australia's only and, and largest pure play industrial REIT. Um, so that's Centuria Industrial REIT. Mm. Um, trades on the ASX under the ticker CIP. Mm. It owns a portfolio of 46 warehouse assets around Australia um, with a portfolio value of about $1.3 billion. Mm. Um, and it's occupied, uh, effectively, we, we take a pure play approach. We're not developers. We look to own real estate in good locations with good tenants mm. that effectively pay us rent and we pay that through to our unit holders in turn with distributions. Yep. So the tenants in that portfolio are 
groups like Woolworths, Vizzy, Toll, DHL, Australia Post, yep. etc. So to sum it up then, and, and add more to my summary mm. if I miss something out, but if you add the e-commerce demands um, forecast or future, yes. which is quite small at this stage in yes. terms of like, we know Amazon hasn't really Haven't increased its footprint, has increased the surface. And we add that to the infrastructure, it equals a very good outlook for industrial property. Is that, that the summary? That's our, that's our view, Peter, yes. Okay. Yeah. Ross Lewis, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for your time.